Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot. Hi, I'm Derek. And I'm Drew. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brain better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. All right, Derek. Well, this one is near and dear to our hearts. I know all these movies really are, but really the movie um, that we're going to talk about and the the fact that this was our initial episode of Wonder Tour. Um, we like to practice what we preach at Wonder Tour, and we're growing all the time. You can probably tell that if you've been following episode to episode. So we did want to go back and pull this one out of the vault, though. This was the first real official Wonder Tour episode that we recorded. We had, you know, in full transparency, we played around with different concepts. That's uh, when if you go back to like the prototyping episode um, where we talked about Tony Stark. Right. We went through a lot of those phases where we tried different things because we're passionate about leadership. We're passionate about strategy and development um, and we want to help develop ourselves and others. And eventually we found this model that we feel like works. And uh, if you're listening, then you probably feel like it works, too. So, <laughs> Derek, talk to me about uh, the, the original Batman Begins episode that's about to follow. Well, I first have to say this. I'm Batman. <laughs> okay <laughs> it works that's well it. when you're talking into a mic right you can do the christian yeah, oh, yeah. pretty easily but you that's you also right. were pretty good with the impressions <laughs> well and yeah i mean and one of the things i think about now that we recorded this episode is i could have done the whole episode like this you know um okay drew uh no it's too much but Where's Rachel? <laughs> there you go <laughs> where are the other drugs going <laughs> i need something for my throat it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> so, where's my life anyway, that's right that's right alfred get them all um but you know uh i think it was just it was fun we were definitely you know i don't want to in a couple different spots right fumbling through but then there was like these moments where i got like a flash of what it could be and i thought that was really cool um and it was just you know the best way i could explain it is it's more like a, a feeling as you're kind of trying to figure out you know, the recipe for things and how to put things together um, that would make sense for somebody, but also be fun. Right. And you can incorporate some of these, you know, different like when when do you do like a silly, you know, whatever. Um, I, I don't know. You know, you just kind of you kind of figure it out as you go. And um, but that's that's part of the joy we have from this. Um, and it's definitely led us, you know, down a, a path that, you know, I mean, there may be times where we may talk like super authoritatively on here but honestly we're 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 just learning this for ourselves as well and so i, I do want to make that uh out there you know and just you know just put that out there that you know i think that's it's uh it's incumbent upon all of us to to kind of you know take these stories and and process them and um you know make sense of them for ourselves also you know find the truth of them you know because i think that's really cool so What'd you call it before? Story truth or something like that? I think it's, yeah. that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So. Story truth. It's, story truth it's means different thing. things to different people, right? But it's the it's the idea that a myth, um, people think of a myth as something that didn't happen, but a myth really is just a story that has truth that you can extract from it. So there's nothing wrong with with retelling a, a historical event and calling that a myth, right? If there's a moral to it. And so for us, that's that's what we've really latched onto is that these are all, these are these myths that we love so much. And we just want to like, 
we just want to take stuff out of them and, and, and really learn from them. And, you know, I can't speak for Derek, but this this Wonder Tour has been awesome so far. You know, I feel like I've kind of been on this Wonder Tour my entire life and now uh, get to do it a little bit more organized fashion. But you know, I would do this if, it, if I was just doing it. It was just me and you, Derek. I just love doing it that much that um, it, and it, I feel like it helps me develop my character as we kind of talk about, you know, the magnanimous leader is somebody who's focused on character development. And we've talked about the development, um, you know, how that looks. So for me, I just I have this vision of of being a magnanimous leader for the good of others. And this this wonder tour is, an, you know, one of the outlets that allows me to strive for that. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, I think it's it's a great avenue for these insights that we gain along the way, and to be able to share them with uh, someone else that could use those insights. I mean, I think that's there's nothing better that I can think of um, because having these thoughts of my own, you know, I I just want to share them. And uh, a lot of times, when you think about the internet as a medium, I think that's one thing that the internet has been very good at. Um, you know, I think a lot of times people look at the negatives of the Internet. I'm not I'm not here to talk about that. I'm talking about the positive things, which is to bring the thinkers together. And I think that's that's who we're, we're talking to here. Right. And so anyway, um, I think without further ado, which is one of our catchphrases, um, <laughs> go ahead and descend into Gotham City and enjoy the show because it's it's a good one. So. tour uh, my name is Derek Cobb this is Drew Perot and uh Drew what do you got for us today yeah absolutely well I thought seeing as this is our maiden voyage we'd probably want to start off with some introductions here so Derek um I don't want to get too technical into what you do what you you know where how you spend your time but I think in the vein uh before we even unveil what wonder tour is i first want to understand like who you are and what motivates you and then hopefully we can tie that into wonder tour yeah i'm a, I'm a guy who's uh passionate about uh, technological innovation you know just innovating with technology a lot of times that's just writing software um but there's also times where <clears throat> you know i just want to help people i want people to be uh changed in the process and so i am uh really uh fascinated with change um uh, in someone's mind like why do they change their mind why do they change their habits and uh, so really excited about just going on this tour in air quotes there um and really it's just you know our musings about that journey right and uh so drew i'll let you kind of talk about yourself for a second as well yeah i'm drew perot i uh, i work mostly in the data world but i've had experience uh with leading people directly towards project objectives you know building applications analytics etc as well as uh, a lot of experience in the grassroots leadership world where you know you don't have direct resources and you're kind of playing the narrative to try and achieve the vision um, both of these things have been really really enjoyable in my career, um, both in, in the working world as well as in my life, um, where I've had the opportunities to do both of those things. And I just love seeing people flourish. So my whole thing is 
I just really enjoy learning myself. And when you see other people learn and really take that next step in their life, that's the most rewarding thing for me. So the reason that I want to go on this wonder tour with you, Derek, and with our audience really is because it's a journey that we're doing together, right? It's almost this like, not necessarily slow moving, but we're not going to move fast on this tour to uh, extract out knowledge from these really key narratives that we all really enjoy or at least have experience with. So our goal of Wonder Tour is really to um, exhibit how you can take leadership advice and get better in your own life, whether it's you know leading leading yourself, leading your team, leading your family, whatever that you whatever your position and place is in life. Um, and you can relate that to these awesome experiences that you love, like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, et cetera, and learn from the good and learn from the bad. Yeah, that's awesome. <clears throat> yeah, I, you uh, you definitely said it a lot better. <laughs> um, you know, I I love to unpack. So, you know, as we talk more, you know, uh, on here, you know, I, I think everybody's going to get a taste for uh, my desire to unpack the uh, the complex and really lay it out, which is fun. Uh, it's really fun for me. And so I'm really looking forward to that, uh, you know, going forward here. So uh, I think without further ado, let's talk about what we're talking about today. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So I was hoping that um, we could kick this off just with talking about the, our first movie or our first piece of media, since these aren't all probably going to be movies. I know Derek and I are big lovers of books and video games and TV, and you know we consume all types of media when we have time. So we want to start, though, with just a really beloved favorite. It's a crossover between superheroes and between, my opinion, the world's greatest director and writer, <laughs> Christopher Nolan. And where better to start than Batman Begins? So... Derek, just tell me a little bit about what you love about Batman Begins, whether that's as a film, as a narrative, whatever really just strikes you. Yeah, so for me, I uh, I really like how, you know, he's kind of given this blank slate, you know, throughout the movie to kind of define himself uh, in a way. And he's got some big struggles. He He's, you know, he's gone through some adversity. Right. And uh, so it's it's really the hero setup, the typical hero setup. Um, but there's some very interesting aspects uh, that get touched on throughout the uh, the movie that I think are are very um, they're they're very unique uh, rare leader moments and uh, so do you, you remember what I told you my favorite one was Drew? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that <laughs> I think that when we look at this movie we see i just want to give us a hundred foot view at least you know i'd like kind of fly over real quick so that you maybe you're not seeing every little scene but um we start out right with bruce really you have bruce as a child um he's going through this experience he, he falls into this well and he yeah, gets terrified by these bats then we find ourselves at the opera um after words bruce has this traumatic experience in the opera with the bats he, he walks out into crime alley in Crime Alley, we have Joe Chill, the, the criminal who comes in and tries to steal from from um, Thomas and Martha Wayne and then ends up shooting both of them. And Bruce kind of feels responsible for this. He has this he has this real chip on his shoulder. And that's what drives Batman. Right. That's we love it because it's he's driven by this this motivation of kind of getting back initially at Joe Chill. And that's where we kind of set ourselves off in this movie is that 
um, kind of revenge story with Joe Chill and, and how is Bruce Wayne going to which way is he going to take that? And that's really where, where we're getting into here. And so he goes through this whole story. He goes and trains with Ross Al Ghul. Um, he, he decides not to go Ross Al Ghul's path after he pitches him to he wants to destroy Gotham. He comes back in uh, into Gotham and now he's going to save Gotham, but in a different way. So with that, then you, of course, have Ra's al Ghul um, and teaming up with Scarecrow to bring in this fear toxin that he's pumping into the water supply. You have the microwave emitter um, from Wayne Enterprises that Ra's al Ghul steals. Um, he has this. Russ is such an awesome villain, honestly, and really the first great Batman villain that we've ever seen in film. So it's one of the reasons I think people love this movie. But he just has such good motivation um, going from the mentor to becoming the villain. And then, of course, it all ends with uh, with the showdown as the microwave emitter is kind of like blowing up Gotham City and everything's becoming this horrifying realm um, with, you know, you have like the police riding with the horses with like lasers shooting out of their eyes and stuff that people are seeing when they have when they're on this fear toxin. Um, and then it all ends with. Batman facing off with Ra's al Ghul again. And it's this really weird scene where he kind of doesn't, he doesn't kill him because that's not Batman, but he also doesn't save him. And then it of course leads into, um, leads into the newly coined commissioner Gordon, I believe at this point, um, showing him the Joker card and leading into the next movie. Right. So it's just, it's such a really jam packed two and a half hours. It's a really long movie, but it's jam packed there. So there's these multiple mentor situations that you see throughout this. And that's what we want to introduce first is this idea of the mentor, right? So Derek, talk to me about these, these three mentors that we see um, that we're going to touch on today. I think, you know, if you think about just how each one of these kind of represents a, a certain archetype, you know, um, but uh, you, know, you got Ross Ogle, you got uh, Commissioner Gordon, kind of pre-Commissioner Gordon, and you've got, uh, you know, his, uh, his, his butler's name. What's his butler's name again? You know, I, I always... Alfred. Alfred, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. Um, so I'm not big on those kind of details, but, but Drew is, so that's great. Um, that's why we work well together. But, uh, you know, you got Alfred and and so Alfred's dropping his pearls of wisdom very often. Um, it's is it slightly judgmental? It, it, sometimes it's slightly judgmental, but he does it in such a gentle, gentlemanly way that uh, you really don't know that, you know, whether you're getting uh, railed on or not. Right. And and so, <clears throat> you know, he just says the truth, which I think is fantastic. And so. Uh, Alfred is like an essential piece of his mentorship, uh, you know, uh, triple combo there. And uh, so then, you know, when you go back to Ross Al Ghul, his motivations are not pure, right? So, but, but he has the alluring uh, power that, you know, a, a mentor can draw you in with sometimes. You know, you may have a, a mentor that, that has a lot of power, position, uh, whatever it may be. And, and uh, but you you don't know at first, you know, that they may be up to nefarious things. And so uh, Commissioner Gordon is interesting, though, in the middle, because, you know, uh, you know, he he's kind of he's just a dude, you know, and he's just trying to do the right thing. And I think there's people like you know, you need to surround yourself with those kind of people uh, quite often. Actually, the Alfreds are not they're not that plentiful out there in the uh, population. You're not going to see a lot of Alfreds. Uh, you're really, it's very rare because number one, people dismiss uh, those of elderly status quite often. Uh, they say, oh, well, you, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know the context of what I'm dealing with. And a lot of times we dismiss those, those type of mentors. And, 
And so the Rossau goals are the, you know, it's like the sexy mentor, right? You know, it's like, oh, well, that's, that's, that's a really tantalizing position you've got there. You know, it's, it's very, uh, you know, you got a lot of power, right? You pack a lot of punch. And those are the ones we can get sucked into. You got to be careful. I actually had somebody tell me early on in my career, they said, you got to, you got to be careful what you, who you pick for your mentor, um, you know? And so we know what happens at Ross Al Ghul, you know, Drew, you talked about quite a bit there. Um, and uh, so he was kind of a disaster, wasn't he? And then uh, you know, look at the cinematography and how they how they use it for the three different mentors. Right. So you have this and this is this is awesome in the movie. Obviously, they have this this kind of like training sequence, your typical like Rocky um, where Batman's going from being this just like this this rugged guy um, to being like an actual ninja. Right. And, and it's just like this crazy action montage. They're on the ice and 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 uh, Ross is like teaching him and he's like cutting through the ice underneath of his feet and stuff. You're seeing all these cool moves. And that's right. Right. Ross is like the sexy mentor. And it's not that you can't learn things from people who do them the wrong way. It's just you have to be very, very careful how you're influenced by those people. And then look at as we follow, we're not going to spoil the next three or the next two movies in the trilogy, but kind of, you know, Ross and his influence will actually influence Bruce Wayne and Batman throughout the rest of the trilogy, how he will interact with other characters. But who influences him more, and in a positive direction, really, is where you're going to have Michael Caine's character, Alfred, right? Alfred, he really, to me, is the loving mentor. And I think that there's a great Steven Spielberg quote, the delicate balance of mentoring someone is not creating them in your own image, but giving them the opportunity to create themselves. And what you see from Ross is this creation in his own image, right? He's trying to build Bruce to be just like him. What you see with Alfred is really somebody who just cares about Bruce, loves him, and he actually loves him enough to do the hard things and to tell him when he doesn't agree with what he's doing, right? And, and again, he, he seems to subscribe to a very similar mentorship mentality than I think I do and you do as well, Derek, where you're really dropping the nuggets of wisdom in rather than hitting someone in the face with the knowledge all the time, because most of us don't really appreciate being hit in the face with knowledge. And most of my best mentors have been exactly the type that just kind of appear, drop in knowledge, disappear, let that knowledge dissipate, and then come back with, you know, when you're ready for it, some more wisdom. Yeah, that that abrupt disagreement that's so prevalent today, you know, and, you know, a lot of conversations, it really doesn't take you know, relationships very far. It doesn't take uh, a change very far for a person to change. They don't want to change if you just, you know, whack them across the face with some platitude, you know, uh, or sit up and, you know, on a soapbox and pontificate for a half hour. You know, it's really, it's not going to win uh, somebody over, right? Um, but man, I mean, did Alfred show also, he backed up, you know, what he did with action as well. Um, so I think that was just a, a, a fantastic display of uh, of his mentorship. Yeah, absolutely. And, and obviously, we always want to both be looking to have a mentor and to be a mentor, right? Like once you've reached a certain age, um, you're always, as a leader, going to want to mentor others because that helps develop them. It helps make people who who hopefully become better than you could be. It also helps develop you because mentoring has that kind of recurrent, that, that kind of like a recurrence. It like comes back to you all the time, right? When you have to help somebody else, you have to figure out, you know, what do you actually believe and how do you illustrate this so that somebody else can do it? Kind of like, 
you, in your brain, you kind of have all of these things. You have this house and it has a lot of rooms inside of it. And, and a lot of those rooms have a lot of like crazy art and stuff, but like you kind of understand it and you maybe think you understand it better than you actually do. And then when you have a mentee that you have to explain it all to, you're like, wow, I need some better analogies. And in doing so, you realize like the fallacy. So that I think the, the mentorship, what, can, what we can hear in terms of mentorship really is you're going to learn things from whoever the leaders are around you. It's not it's not really always yours to choose. It's just what are you going to learn from them? Right. And when are you going to kick them to the curb? Because you realize that, hey, maybe they're not doing things the right way because it's not all about what you're doing. It's also about why you're doing it and how you're doing it. And that's exactly what was wrong with Ross Al Ghul, right? You know, the training methods were great and stuff like that. And Bruce was easily able to become, a, you know, maybe not easily, but he was he was quickly able to become a ninja under him um, with just incredible skill. But maybe the motivation there wasn't right. And you find that out when he obviously tasks him to to destroy Gotham. Yeah, I mean, I think you've really got to you got to. You have to have a realistic and awake uh, consciousness, you know, when you're dealing with someone who is more, way more powerful than you. You need to really uh, start thinking about, um, you know, <clears throat> how did they get to where they where they are? Is it legit? Did they do it in a legit way? Um, because I can say that, you know, if you want to be a leader, you have to have virtue, right? You have to have uh, you know, not not in a not in a sense that you are better than somebody else, but that you really are pursuing a a pure form of leadership as much as possible. And and so when you have somebody who is kind of crooked like that guy, uh, you know, you know, you've got to you've got to constantly be watching for the deal breaker, right? Um, but I like what you said too about how there is a moment where even if the person's good, there is a surpassing moment. And um, so I've thought about this before, actually, just, you know, whatever, just regular musings, I suppose, on a daily basis. But um, it is when you start to see it's kind of like TV shows. Once you start to see reruns, then you've got to start thinking about moving on. Um, if you don't see new material, you realize that you've learned those lessons. Those lessons start to be recycled. Uh, I've noticed as I've had maybe, you know, a few older mentors over the years, whatever, they they tend to tell you some of the same stories uh, periodically. And then you start to think, OK, OK, this is this is starting to taper off now. What? But but there is another thing here. And this is kind of outside the movie aspect. But that's what this is about. We need to wonder about the things that, you know, we get the lesson right. We get the nugget and then we start thinking about how to extrapolate it. Um, but you've got to also think about how you've got that mentor's back. So someone who's especially done well for you, um, you need to think about in your organization, you know, if this mentor is in your organization or if there's a way that your efforts can strategically help that mentor, you should. That's kind of like an unwritten rule, I think, um, to kind of assist them and, and to give them good, uh, you know, kind of PR, that kind of thing. You know, you have influence, right? They helped you get influence. So you should use some of your influence to help them back. So, uh, you know, in the case of Alfred, I mean, if I were if I were Bruce Wayne, I mean, I would I would just absolutely make sure Alfred was taken care of like bar none. It would not even be a, a thought like a minute second in my mind. I would make sure the guy is taken care of. Right. And you kind of see that playing out again with Commissioner Gordon as well. You know, he he looks to take care of Commissioner Gordon. 
uh, in addition to Alfred. So anyway, I think, I think that's, those are some really good lessons from the mentors in that movie. I mean, I, there's so much there. It's rich, you know? Yeah. And we obviously will continue to see, uh, him take care of other characters and, and we have in other, other medium. I'm by no means the expert on Batman, but right. I mean, we see him take care of Oracle, um, in, in comics and in video games and stuff like that. Obviously, um, we see him take care of Rachel in the next movie, um, no spoilers, but spoilers. I mean, it's partially it's the main part of the movie, basically. But um, we see him taking care of Rachel, and we can keep going into all these different things. I think what you said about political capital was really um, th- that's huge, and that's something I definitely didn't realize as a young leader. Not that I'm an old leader now, but uh, it took a little while to figure out, you know, how that works. That's a future movie comparison. We'll talk about that um, in, in one of these weeks coming up here, but. Talk to me about your moment. You know, I know that we both love this film, but what what was the moment that really sold it for you where where you continue to think back on it? Well, I mean, when somebody, uh, you know, sacrifices themselves uh, in a particularly meaningful way, I think that's something that really uh, sticks out and just has a real poignancy, uh, you know, that you can't forget. And uh, so at his birthday party at his house and, uh, you know, all those people are there and, uh you know, Ra's al Ghul shows up and, you know, he knows it's going down. He knows it's not good. Um, and it is just like it was a really just amazing demonstration to me of his leadership when he basically acted. He faked. He impersonated being a drunk Bruce Wayne. Right. And <clears throat> so when he did that, um, I became fascinated with that. Um, because he spent his personal capital, right? He spent his reputation in that moment. Um, that's kind of hard to untell. Uh, and so, you know, as you know, when you watch the movie later on, you know, he he got blamed for burning down his own house. Um, and, you know, but he did it to save those people. And um, so I just think that there, there are moments where, you know, we have to uh, – we may have to as leaders, you know, and I'm looking for that moment because I think it's a very unique moment. You know, when is it? Well, when is there a time when you're going to be forced into embarrassing yourself? Right. Um, but you do it because you are essentially sacrificing yourself for the for the greater good of others. Like, you know, I mean, obviously, I can think of a few examples, but, you know, it, it's not a lot, you know. And why is that? Because it's such an incredible act of leadership. Uh, it's such an incredible act of sacrifice, you know, so, um, you know, but he's like, you know, everybody, everyone, you know, you <laughs> suck, you know, he's just kind of like, yeah, you know, um, and, you know, think about being on the other side of that and being like, Dude, what is wrong with him? You know, and he's like, you're losers, you know, you're basically just you're just trying to suck me dry for money. And um, so I think that that is uh to me, that was just a huge moment, you know, and um, but it's not the one that you would think, you know, I mean, the cinematic one would be like, oh, yeah, and he flipped out this weapon and he did this and that, and, you know, like we always we always, uh, you know, we really put up on a pedestal like the aggression, right? The aggressive piece, the revenge piece. Um, but if you really look at the sacrifice piece, that's the inversion of all the norms. Right. And that's what makes it truly powerful, because because you're you're basically spending it and you're not getting anything out of it for yourself. His house burnt down. 
in the movie, right? Uh, I don't know that he knew that was going to happen per se in that moment, but he knew something bad was going to happen. And he knew that people were going to get hurt that did not, they weren't a part of it, right? So I think there might have been a little bit of a guilt motivation there too. It's like, oh my gosh, I brought this, you know, on myself a little bit because I connected myself with these people, right? Um, did you have any thoughts on, you know, some of those aspects of it? I'm just curious. Yeah, I think that's really, I think that's really uh, smart of you to see that moment because that is probably, like you said, not in anybody's top ten moments really um, in the movie. I mean, the, the whole scene there is kind of cool when Ren Ross is back and stuff. But no, that that's really smart of you. Right. And it's it's kind of um, it's kind of mirrored in the beginning of the movie when Bruce comes back and he's really playing up the Bruce persona. And he he goes out and he's like with these models and he shows up in his Lamborghini and he goes to the um, and he goes to the hotel and what the restaurant and. They tell him, I can't even remember what they tell him. Oh yeah, the, the models are swimming in the in the like the pond or whatever like there is there. <laughs> he's like, and they tell him that they can't be doing that. And then he's like, oh well, here's a check. I, I just bought this place, right? So that's completely different. The type of capital that he's um, that he's creating, and you see the changes that have happened in him through the loss that he has had in his life. And I do want to point out that I'm curious what you think about this. You know, sacrifice is not the first resort. And I think as a lot of people who watch these hero movies, you know, spoilers for Endgame. But as we see, um, as we see Iron Man at the end, um, his sacrifice. Right. It's really rewarding. But right. Iron Man doesn't sacrifice himself in every movie because that's really the last resort. Right. Like we really value mercy over sacrifice as leaders. At least I do. And I think you do as well. Like there's more. Um, there's definitely more mercy for failure before you need to actually make the sacrifice. So this was this is perfect because this th- this movie is huge, right? Like this, it's crazy that they, he does this as the first in the trilogy because he really has like this global impact of like we're gonna basically flatten you know Gotham City or like you know New York City essentially, and everybody's gonna die. So he really has this huge impact and maybe it's not like end game size, like, you know, end of the end of the universe, but it is huge. And so Bruce does have this opportunity and, and, and that's Batman, right? That's Nolan's Batman specifically is he is willing to make the sacrifice. He's willing to take the reputation hit. He, he just becomes kind of this like beanbag that people are just beating up very often. And that's so weird for Batman, but it's be, because Nolan does it so tastefully he, he carries on, he soldiers on through this trilogy and he just continues to just gain supporters, right? Like you love him as, a, as the audience because he's the hero and the leader that you want, that you wish you could be. Um, and it's not that you always are going to have these opportunities to sacrifice, but you hope that when you are in that scenario that you would be good enough to do so. Yeah, that's the moment, right? Knowing when to sacrifice. That's honestly a reflection to take from today because – you know, I, I think you've just got to kind of prepare your heart as a leader. You have to be ready uh, uh, for that moment. And, um, you know, in some respects, it can get easier as you have progressed and you have a list of successes behind you. Um, but, you know, maybe you've been in an organization for a long time. Maybe, you know, uh, you've really got quite the network going Right. And you do have a lot to lose, you know, should you sacrifice yourself. So, 
you know, it's, it's something that there's all kinds of levels of sacrifice too, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, it, it could just be, you know, being embarrassed a little bit, right. Um, it could be a project that has a really big payout. Uh, but you know what, it doesn't work. It never worked. It never finally worked in the end and you know, it falls apart, but what can you do like even to maybe, I don't know, let's say it does, you know, like I said, it goes sideways or whatever. There's always something that you can salvage out of that. So a smart leader, a mature leader is going to see, Hey, there are other things I can salvage out of that. And I think that kind of is kind of leading more towards the moral of it, which is you see the big picture, right? Um, you know when to make the sacrifice uh, because there's a big payout at the end for everybody, not just yourself. And you're willing to put yourself uh, on the line, right? Um, maybe lose a little bit of face, which a lot of people are not willing to do very often. Why is that? Because they may have a lack of innate value for themselves. You know, <clears throat> if you know that you're an in- inherently valuable leader, if you know you're an inherently valuable person, you will be willing to put yourself on the line because you know uh, that you can take it, that you can take those hits and that ultimately in the end, you're going to have a big payout for the people you're, you're working with, the people in your network, uh, the people in your team, whatever it may be. What are your thoughts That's- on that? Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. That that we're really honing in on the moral of the story, which is our third M. And I want to try to um, close this up here. So let's talk about what the moral of the story is here. And of course, we haven't prepared for this. So we don't. We haven't decided on one moral that both of us agree on. Um, of course, this is art. So we're going to sometimes see different things uh, when we view it. So I think that for me, the moral of the story can be seen in the microcosm of the Joe Chill situation, right? So at the beginning, um, we haven't really talked about it yet, but you actually have Bruce Wayne going down to the courthouse because they're about to like essentially extradite Joe Tr- Joe Chill or whatever. And he he like loads his gun and he brings it and he like has it in his in his sleeve and he's there and he's like imagining himself shooting Joe Chill, right? Because that's that's been his revenge narrative in his head. And so he's going through this whole decision of how to do it. And then in the end, Carmine Falcone ends up, one of his thugs ends up actually killing Joe Chill, right? Because he, they didn't want him to turn on him and ruin their scheme that they were, the racket that they were running. But you see, that's the beginning of the movie. That's the beginning Bruce Wayne. And so you see the transformation of Bruce Wayne first to that point that you were talking about where he's willing to make that sacrifice. He's willing to do that, right? You see him and he's coming after Gordon and he's coming after Rachel to save them. And then again, he just continually is throwing himself into the line of fire um, um, to be able to save the city from Ross. And I think that for me, it's the moral of the story is it's about the why and the how it's not about the what, right? Like the, what seems to figure itself out. So when you hear a lot of people talking about the what, but you don't get the why and the how, that's where I struggle, right? That's when I'm kind of lost in a situation is I got to understand the why and the how, right? A lot of people, you know, familiarize with that concept from Simon Sinek. And it's just, it's just one of these emergent concepts that just seems to remain true wherever you go. You need to understand the why and the how. And whenever you find people who are just stuck talking about the what, you kind of, you either need to try to motivate them or you got to find somebody else who's willing to talk about the why and the how with you. Because when you're stuck in the what, you know, you can end up doing Ra's al Ghul type stuff, right? His motivation is completely different. His why and his how, 
you know, he, he didn't reveal any of that to Bruce until the end. And finally, once Bruce is trained, you know, he's got him and he's like, you're going to have to kill this worker, but he's a, you know, he's a criminal. And so we get that classic Batman, like, is Batman going to kill right in Nolan's movies? And they're like extremely dark, darker than almost any other Batman content. But he doesn't because that's who Batman is, right? That's the Dark Knight. And so I think that you have to figure out the why and the how. And and Batman Begins is the perfect name for this because Bruce is figuring out his why and his how. And he's moving on. His initial motivation of his fear of his bats and, and, and his parents getting killed in Crime Alley and stuff like that. He He's not, not going to continue to carry that. But he's able to start moving on while he's carrying it, right? You you can't not carry your previous experiences. It's not really realistic for your past ever to completely leave you, right? But you can reframe it, and you can and you can figure out how to make those motivations positive for you and not spiteful. Yeah, you got to drain the sorry, <clears throat> got to raise the water level over over the the trauma and the junk in your life, and you'll know that you know you'll notice that when on your down days that's when the trauma and the memories kind of come back sometimes, you know, and you start thinking about things that have been bad in the past and you think about, you know, Oh man, I don't, you know, that was terrible. I mean, I feel like I need to do something, but then you you know, you start to realize like how small it's become, you know, in the things that you're doing now. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, obviously I'm not some kind of professional in that regard, but I do think about those type of things and, uh, you know, as far as, uh, you know, mistakes made and stuff like that. And, and so, you know, being able to, uh, kind of surmount those things and, and pass them up, uh, and make them, le- I'll say less relevant. They're always going to be relevant because they're part of you. Right. Um, but don't, you know, I would say I, in my own experience, I've learned to integrate those things into who I am. Um, and I think that's what exactly what Bruce Wayne did, right. He integrated his trauma took the bat, integrated his trauma, and it became part of him, right, that he would never let go. And he almost, you know, in that way, faced his fear. And, you know, we all know that story of Batman, so I'm not really going to dwell on that too much. But um, point is, I think there's a lot there in the story that we didn't even talk about today. But these were, you know, the things that we felt were really powerful um, that don't get talked about at all because they're just they're nuanced. Um, by those that maybe aren't on a wander tour. So yeah, absolutely. And we're not trying to come through here. You know, you 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 have other movie podcasts that you can go to where they're going to break down every scene. They're going to break down cinematography. They're going to break down the acting performances and stuff like that. Now here we're talking about narrative. That's what the wonder tour is, right? Like we want to understand the narrative and then what we can glean from that narrative to apply to our own lives, right? And and why do we think that's so valuable? Why is this different? Why is this worth undertaking and, and Derek and I spending our time on? Well, it's really because we as humans change most effectively when we can connect a story, right? Each of us, it, it's easy to get hit over the head with values and stuff like that. But that doesn't really make an imprint on you. What makes an imprint on you is the stories of these heroes. You know, it, it's the stories of of people who are flawed, who go through these experiences, you know, the black, white and the gray. And from that, you know, we, we have such a strong connection to it. Right. We, we remember these movies from when we were kids, even some from when we we're adults really, really well in certain scenes. And they leave an imprint on us. And so we want to take and leverage that imprint for positive change in our lives. Couldn't said it better myself, Drew. And uh, thanks for saying that. That was really cool. Um, well, 
We'll see you next time, guys.